Our scripture is found in Genesis chapter 33, and we will attempt to deal with the whole chapter. We're going to divide it into three sections. Don't you think that's a doable thing? If we divide it into bite sizes, we can digest it a little more. We're going to see Jacob's plan, first of all, and then Jacob's presence that he he gives. And then at the end, we're going to look at, at, at Jacob's failure of dealing with the things of the Lord as he should have. And hopefully the Lord will teach us these precious lessons that he's left here for us, for our learning and our admonition. Once again, let's go before the Lord and ask him, Now, Lord, this is your word. We're convinced of it. We pray that you would open our hearts to receive your truth. May may we not just be here and hear these things and uh, you not do the work that is appointed, that you've appointed eternity past for this very word to accomplish. Lord, we know that these were real people, that uh, you recorded them for our learning and admonition. And we, with our own set of problems in a different age, are still just as sinful, still in need of your grace, and for you to supply our need. And so we come for our portion today and boldly ask for it. We, we implore your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, John. One thing is certain, the Word of God is absolute truth. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. And so when we read a biographical record of, in the Scriptures, we can rest assured that these things happen just as they're unfolded here for us. He doesn't gloss over them, does he? If you and I had been writing Jacob's story, I'm afraid that we would have been tempted to leave him from his place of victorious prayer meeting with the Lord. And him declaring, I will not let thee go till thou bless me. And have gone right into his uh, other successes. But the Holy Spirit pauses and records his actions here in chapter 33. And so we must consider them. We see that the Holy Spirit is consistently truthful in all of his recordings of the lives of his people in the scripture. Abraham obediently leaves the idolatries of Ur and then goes out not knowing where he was going and uh, trusting the Lord. But then when the time of famine came, he reverted and went back down to Egypt for help. Elijah shows unbelievable courage before the 400 false prophets of Baal and to uh, Ahab and his wife Jezebel, fearlessly standing before them and declaring the claims of Jehovah. And yet we, we see him just afterwards when he, his life is threatened. He, he wants to run away and die. We see these paradoxes among God's people. David fearlessly comes as a teenage boy against Goliath and says, Is there not a cause? Can't someone do something? And dared in, in, in gracious faith, believing faith, to to defeat him, and the Lord graciously helped him. And then we see David running from Saul for years. One thing we we see among the Lord's people is my New Testament and Old Testament Bible teacher in college, Dr. Wymel Porter, used to say, young people, we'd come to someone like this, and he'd say, young people, we just see that men at their very best are still just men. And we see that, don't we? One thing that is consistent with us is that we're inconsistent. And we don't say that glowingly or glossing over we say it with grief don't we that we're inconsistent that out of the same fountain could come bitter waters and sweet things out of the same mouth out of the same heart praises and blessings and thankfulness to the lord and yet covetousness and and wicked desires we we see incongruities in our own self paradoxes 
great grace and often sometimes great inconsistency. We should take heed as we study these lives and purpose to walk circumspectly and beware of our own way and our own walk. It's one thing to know the Lord's favor and blessing as Jacob did there. The Lord graciously meeting his need and leaving his mark upon him and his marks of ownership. And Jacob left that prayer meeting knowing there was a God in heaven who knew about every detail of his life and was going to have the authority one way or the other. Jacob knew that, didn't he? And it's another thing to walk consistently in obedience and in the power of the Holy Spirit. No sooner does Jacob leave that prayer meeting and surrender, a time of surrender to the Lord and returns to his family after a night of prayer till he sees Esau on the horizon coming. Can you imagine Jacob's heart? I bet his blood pressure went up, don't you? I bet he could hear his pulse in his ears. He sees Esau coming on the horizon, and not just Esau and a few friends, 400 men, trained men. We must live out in our relationships what we gather in a prayer meeting or a Bible conference. I will not let thee go to thou bless me. How's that going to work here when you meet Esau? God's grace does work, isn't it? Doesn't it? God's grace is sufficient. It is both him to do of his good pleasure in our lives. And we see that in this situation here before us. If Jacob has been successful in Haran and left with great riches and prosperity as he did, and all at the Lord's hand, Esau has fared even better back home. Jacob doesn't have an army like Esau does. And if you're trying to impress one another, I would say that Esau has won this, this game, wouldn't you? I want us to look at this chapter, as I mentioned, in, in three sections, three headings. Jacob's plan. We see there in verses 1 through 3, his gifts in verses 4 through 15 are his presence. And then Jacob's compromise in the last verses there in verses 17 through 20. Can you hang your thoughts on that? His plan, his gifts, and his compromise. It's not alliterated, but what would you do with that anyway? You would just remember the alliteration. So I think those are three bite-sized points that, that we can remember. His plan, his gifts, and his compromise. First of all, Jacob's plan. Some have criticized Jacob as being cowardly in uh, what he does here. He divides his great troop and herds into sections. And the, the Bible does record there that he, he puts Rachel and Joseph in the last group, which hints at another problem in Jacob's life. There will be favoritism in the home uh, that... Uh, the history repeats itself. The favoritism of his own parents does not stop there. And, and the Holy Spirit records very unequivocally that, that Joseph is the favorite child. And if, if Jacob was trying to subvert that, he doesn't help the situation. We already see it in motion here with Joseph in the last favored group. And this is just a premonition, just a foretaste of future events that are not going to bode well in Jacob's home. But I don't think Jacob is being cowardly and dividing his family here. I don't think that's the plan because the Bible tells us he went before them in verse 3. He's not hiding behind his wives and servants and and cattle. Uh, He goes before them as a good general will do. He leads his troop. And so if, if it were cowardly, Jacob is not acting the coward's part. He has some scheming going on here. Even though his name has been renamed to Israel, he's still acting like Jacob to some degree. But as I've already pointed out, don't we? Your name is Saint. Did you know that? 
Do you always live up to that title that's recorded by your name in the Lamb's Book of Life? Justified. The debt has been paid. We're cleared from sin. Children of the King. But do we live that out throughout all of our lives? We should. But there are some incongruities in our life. And before Israel acts like Israel, there's some scheming yet in him. I believe that Jacob is trying his best to impress his brother, and right off the bat, he's outdone. Jacob is going to make it look like he's got even more than what he's got. He's going to send them in groups, and, and Esau's going to see this party, and then here comes another, and here comes another. Can you imagine it's like having several SUVs coming up to meet Esau, and uh, Esau surely is going to be proud. Look at this Escalade. Look at this, this, this SUV. My, what? Uh, you know, Jacob has done well for himself these last 20 years. But when Jacob sees Esau with his retinue of 400 soldiers coming his direction, his little plan doesn't look so good. Well, Jacob is a schemer, isn't he? And in fact, he's acted upon that throughout his life. We know that he's not cowardly here, but I, I think it's something that may be just as unpalatable, maybe just as despicable as his trying to impress his brother. Dividing his huge entourage into sections was common in that travel at that time. If a marauding band of robbers overtook one group, they'd still be more behind. And so it was a, a visual plan from the enemy. It was a way of protection. It was a way of, of not having all of your eggs in one basket, so to speak. And it was an indication that one had a lot of possessions. Let's face it, when you divide something up and send it out like that, it looks like more than what it is. And it was a lot. Jacob is a rich man. He's been blessed. He leaves. He went, well, when he went into to Haran, he had nothing. He comes out blessed, doesn't he? he he's, he's got all kinds of things uh, from his wise dealings there with his father-in-law. Herds and flocks and servants, wives, children. They couldn't all possibly be go in one group. Just the, the navigation of it would have been an impossibility. But Jacob is using it as a... As a a way of influencing or impressing his brother. He was definitely putting his best foot forward, wasn't he? Yes, he was trying hard to, to look blessed, to look successful, to look the part. Someone has said, and I'm not saying it's true, but you've probably heard it quoted. It's a very worldly thought, but that the, the best revenge is living well. And I think Jacob was trying to say, hey, listen, I've been gone for 20 years. I ran uh, for my life, but look, I, I'm doing well. And he's wanting to make things right with his brother, but we still see this, this posturing. His old schemes, his, the old schemer is still scheming. I, my father-in-law recounted in his first pastor, one of his first pastors, there was two brothers in the, in the church. And they were, one was more successful or, or appeared to be more successful than the other. And so the, the one brother didn't have air conditioning in his car. The other brother, when it was just, some of us remember when that was not the standard on every car to have an air conditioner. The other brother was wealthy enough to have that added in the extras when he ordered his car. And uh, he said, you, you, the, the most foolish thing, there was a funeral at the church and the funeral possession. And the brother that had the air conditioning, everybody knew he had a new car with the air conditioning. The brother that didn't, in the hottest blue blazing of August, kept his windows rolled up in the funeral possession so as to appear to have air conditioning. Now, we laugh at that, but within all of us is that potential to look better off than what we are, to impress. 
Uh, it's here that, that Jacob had no idea what Esau, Esau's response would be. He didn't know. And so he's using all of his wits, all of his schemes to, to come across uh, as the powerful one. But God's people don't live by schemes, do we? We don't live in, to try to impress others. That's, that's the way the world lives. It's all the world has is its so-called success and the appearance of things. We, we're to walk humbly before our God and honestly and simply before men. We don't have to prove how spiritual we are. Now, we might not do this or be tempted to do this just in our possessions, but sometimes among God's people, there is the, um, the proclivity to come across as more spiritual than what we are, to have arrived, to, to be blessed, whatever we mean by that. We want others to think that, that we are with it and that we are favored of the Lord. And we don't have to prove how spiritual we are. Do you, do you know that's something that will be obvious in your life? It is not something that can be worked up. If you are spiritual, it will be evident. If you're not, it will seem as a sham. And so let's just put that to bed this morning. Hypocrisy can be fake, but true holiness and spirituality cannot be. There is a world of difference between the two. There's an eternity of difference between the two things. We have to have a, a, a conscience. We're to live with a conscious void of offense before God and men. Paul tells Timothy that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. And in 2 Timothy 2, verse 22, to follow righteousness, to pursue righteousness, faith and charity and peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. In Colossians 3, 23, whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord, not unto men. Titus 2, 11, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, when it comes, what does it teach us? Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, that we should live how? Soberly, seriously, righteously, and godly in this present world. Jacob is going to have to learn that his ways are not God's ways. And that God's ways of doing things are not the way that, that we would handle them. That the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. But they are mighty, aren't they, to, to God, to the pulling down of strongholds. And so the appearance of things, Jacob, is not the important thing here. God will go before you. God will make the way clear and plain. You be Jacob, who is now Israel. Don't live like Jacob, the schemer. Live like Israel, a prince with God. It was customary in, in these days that the one who was approaching a king or an honorable person that would be in that category to bow before them seven times. And in so doing, uh, that, that's what Jacob is doing. He's honoring his brother. And everyone knew when, when Jacob bowed and then he bowed again and stepped back and bowed again, he's say, saying, I have you in highest esteem. When those of us who were taught by our parents to stand when a lady enters the room, there are certain things that we do to show deference or honor to that person. That's what he was doing. He's treating Esau as a wealthy lord or king. He's showing the utmost respect and recognition of Esau as a ruler from back home. And then Esau could contain himself no longer. It's as if Esau is saying here, let's put away all the, the, the formality and all the trying to impress one another. And let's not, you know, Esau may have been doing the same thing, 400 our men, I mean, that's, that's, quite a, that's quite a group to come and just meet your brother. I'm, I'm sure that Jacob could have got the idea this might get tough before we, we get through here today. 
And so probably there was posturing on, on either side. But at last, Esau quits all the, the, the preliminaries and the protocol. And he does what it would be unthought of. He ran. Men did not run in public in this day. It was undignified for a person of means to run. We see the, the father and the prodigal running to meet his son. Someone of position or rank or elder would never do such a thing unless they were overcome by the emotion, the importance of the event. Here Esau, who has revenge to get even with his brother if it took him all of his life, is running to meet him. I'm sure that Jacob is studying his face to think, is he coming after me to do away with me? Does he have a knife or whatever? Or is he coming, uh, is he truly moved with emotion to, to see me? He falls on his brother's neck and, and hugs him and kisses him as they did in that day on either side of the cheek over and over again. Jacob was reduced to nothingness, I'm sure. This love and affection, this outpouring of forgiveness from his brother. Now, the Bible makes it clear of Esau's condition. While it's commendable what Esau is doing here, and it's very heart-rending to us to see this one who had determined to kill his brother if he ever got a chance to be acting in this way. But I want you to know that when you compare Scripture with Scripture, the, the New Testament commentary on Esau is quite plain, isn't it? We've looked at his life in detail, and the Bible tells us very clearly that he was a fornicator and a profane or worthless person who cared so little for spiritual privileges and blessings that for one meal he was willing to sell his birthright. It was meaningless to him. He didn't care. He didn't want to be the head of the, of the family. He didn't want to be the one through whom the, the blessings of God would come. He didn't want the headache. He didn't want any part of it. it he, he, his attitude was, well, what good is it to me? If I'm going to die, what good is a, is a birthright? Just go ahead and feed me and I will die. The, the Bible tells us that he was rejected in, in Hebrews 12, verse 17, and that he showed a worldly sorrow and a false repentance, but he was not a spiritual man. The touching portrait that the Holy Spirit paints for us is, is not to be taken that Esau has come to his senses and that he is a converted now and that he is now a godly brother. Reconciliation is a wonderful thing, if it is possible. It takes two people to be reconciled. Romans 12 tells us, be of the same mind, 12 in verse 16, one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of men, of all men, if it be possible. That's why I said reconciliation is a wonderful thing if it is possible. And here it is. They are being reconciled. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you on your part, you do everything you can to be reconciled to another a brother or a brother in Christ or a brother in your family. Live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. It is written, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. It's true that the last time that Jacob saw Esau, he was fleeing for his life and was running out the back door and his mother said, we'll call you when his temper cools down. Evidently, for 20 years, it didn't cool down. There was never a message that we know of calling Jacob back home. 
The Bible is very clear that Esau hated his brother Jacob, not because he wanted his birthright back, but the embarrassment of the whole thing. He'd been tricked. He'd been schemed. And, and the, 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 the whole embarrassment in front of the family and all was in, in Jacob's conniving ways, just enraged Jacob. And Esau was enraged Esau. He was determined to, to get even with Jacob no matter what. But the Lord has worked on both ends of the line. Isn't that wonderful when he does that? He sent Jacob away in his providence, and he's going to work on Jacob. And my, what a work God had to work on Jacob. He had to to put his thigh out of joint to do it. But I I believe if we had a testimony service here today that that you could match some of that. I, I know that there are some testimonies in this room who would say, Brother Lamb, I stand here by the grace of God, but you can say with the Apostle Paul, I bear in my body the marks, the marks of God's ownership, and I can trace God's dealings with me, if not literally, as Jacob could. There are marks of ownership in my heart and life that the Lord is in control. He's my Savior. I tell you, He's my Savior today. You might could point to a wreck or to a this or to a that, where the Lord in His mercy and His providence had to use something to that effect, to to deal with you and to get you to where you are today. He worked on both brothers. And God is sovereign. He does that. He's made them willing to to humble themselves and to to make things right. The next time we see the brothers together, we'll be at the burial of their father. Jacob must learn that planning is good. There's nothing wrong in having a plan. This, after all, is our first point, Jacob's plans. And we're to do all things decently and in order. We're to look ahead. We're to do all that we can to try to make things prudently, to to do the right thing with forethought, and then surrender all that to the will of God and ask Him to override our plans if they have been uh, uh, not in His will. When we pray, aren't we to say, Lord, if we've asked amiss, would you please undertake and make this right? And So let's plan, but we plan, first of all, prayerfully that God will have His will and way. And in a lot of Jacob's planning, there's no intimate intimation at all that he asked the Lord anything about it. He just did it. This is what works for me. And this is what I want to do. And he plunged headlong into doing it. We see how over and over again that God has overruled and intervened Jacob's plan as, as he has to do with us. And we ask him, Lord, you, you overrule me today as, as you see fit and we'll humble ourselves before you. We see here then that Jacob's planning was not effective. I had a whole course in one of my college co- and graduate courses in just planning. Uh, and it, it was about the planning of educational ventures and all kinds. It was one of those courses that you didn't know what it was really about when you started it, even though you read the syllabus. And on the last day of the class, you still were not real clear what the, the course was about. And sadly, my grade reflected that, that I didn't. I'm sure that that dear professor said, this guy doesn't have a clue. But Jacob's plans were, were not always what they should have been. And it's good to have one. It's good to know what, what we're doing. But, but we ought to say, now, Lord, this is it. I submit it to you to approve. And if it's, if it's not yours, just shred it, and we'll start all over. All right? Jacob's plan. But I want us to look, secondly, at Jacob's gifts there in verses 4 through 15. He presents these gifts 
to give to his brother. And Esau surveyed these, these large flocks and herds and, and meant to impress him. And one large band had been sent away, the Bible tells us in verse 30, chapter 32, and the, the previous day, and he had seen five droves. And, and he said, he asked the question, what is all this, Jacob? What, what, what is this about? The shepherds told Esau that these were all gifts from his brother Jacob. Can you imagine five droves of herds of, of animals and all these things that he was bringing to his brother as a gift? It seemed strange to him to have uh, sent to him to, by his brother such a lavish and showy gift. And so I'm sure that, J, uh, that Esau thought, okay, here's Jacob at it again. He's got something up his sleeve, Jacob being Jacob. <laughs> you know, I, I know him, and I'm sure he was, had a question about all that. And he did. He asked him, what is, what is, what is meant by all this? And Jacob assures his twin that, that all, was, all this was for him. This, are, this is gifts for you. And, but Esau said, I don't, I don't want it. I, I have enough. I'm good. I'm fine. As you can see, he didn't say it, but as you can see, I'm doing, I'm doing well. I have, I've got all that I need. In fact, he didn't want or need any of it. Jacob seems to be saying, Esau, I was so deceptive toward you uh, 20 years ago and, and gained the birthright by taking it, advantage of your weakness. I, I'm sorry. I, I repent. I regret scheming the way that I did instead of letting the Lord lead and have his way. I, I want to make it right with you, and I, I want to make restitution. And even though if it was lavish, he, you have to give it to Jacob. He's really... He's doing all that he can to, to show Esau that he's, he's a changed man. And, and that this was more than just words. So often apologies are just that, aren't they? We hear daily on the news some, some noted official does something and they, the world demands that they apologize and they get up and read some you know, statement that's to the effect, if you were offended by what I did, when it comes across, you were an idiot if you were offended by that. But if you are, I, I hope that it didn't cause you distress. And it's, it's just a bunch of mumbo-jumbo. Apologies are good, but if that's what it is, what does that do? If you were offended, I hope you take this for whatever it's worth almost. You know, there's very little remorse or owning up to the offense whatsoever. But some public relations agency said you better do that if you want to keep your position. And so they make this effort of apology. But it's just words if there's no actions behind them. And so often uh, that's, that's the, way, the same way even in the spiritual realm. Look at Esau's response in verse 8. He said, What meanest thou by all this dread? And he said, These are to find grace in the sight of my Lord. He's given that, that, that ancient title of respect, my Lord. And Esau said, I have enough. My brother, keep that that thou hast unto thyself. It was God's will all along from the foundation of the world for Jacob to have the birthright. That the lesser... The younger would rule over the, the older. That was God's will. That the Abrahamic covenant would be fulfilled through Jacob. Esau lost no family wealth because of his giving up his birthright. In fact, the Lord allowed him to be wealthy at his own hand. God allowing his, his brother to take the position, the birthright. But, but Jacob did not suffer the, the double portion that the elder son would have received. He far outstripped his brother, it seems, in that. In fact, it appears as if Esau at this point is more prosperous than Jacob. In the east, the acceptance of a gift was of primary importance. It wasn't the gift itself. 
but the offended party, for the offended party not to receive the gift, whatever it was, was almost to say, even if you said it in words, I really don't forgive you. And Jacob was earnest and desperate to know that Esau had genuinely forgiven. That's why he keeps insisting, please take this. If his brother did not take it, he would have no assurance that all was right. It wasn't a matter of what, what, Jacob, what Esau needed. It was what Jacob needed. Jacob needed to know that Esau was right with him. And what a lesson that is for us. When is the last time you or I were that desperate to know that that we were right with people that we wronged. He went to great lengths. And here I have pointing out that he's trying to impress his brother. Yes, that's Jacob. But he's earnestly trying to prove, I'm a changed man. The Lord has dealt with me. The acceptance of a present was the equivalent to a bond or a vow of friendship, or a vow that there would be no retribution or revenge. We see there in verse 11, take, I pray thee, I beg thee, my blessing that is brought to thee. Isn't it interesting that he used that word blessing because that's exactly what he, he finangled to get from his brother. I'm trying to give you a blessing back because God has dealt graciously with me because I have enough. In verse 9, Esau says I have enough, but the difference between Jacob's enough and Esau's enough is who Jacob ascribes his enough to. I have enough God hath dealt graciously with me, and, and he urged him, and he took it. We notice that both men say, I have enough. Esau in verse 9 and Jacob in verse 11. Esau is a rich man, and his contentment is a rich person's contentment. How many mansions do you need if you're wealthy? And in fact, when the rich hear the gospel of streets of gold and mansions in heaven, when they have one on every continent or, you know, all kinds of... What, it, after, it, it's at a point, it just is meaningless. I've got enough, Esau said. I don't need anything. I, I've got more than I can... I've got more herds and flocks than I can see after. I would just have to hire more people to deal with this stuff. I don't, I don't need this. His was a wealthy, worldly person's contentment. Nobody could possibly give him anything that he needed or wanted. He sees himself as a self-made man. I've, I've made, yes, you stole it from me, but I've made good. Look at me. I've, 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 I've done well anyway. I've, I've succeeded. I've raised myself up by my own bootstraps. And you can rest assured it was by hard work. And, and if to say, you know, I don't know how you got yours, but I worked hard for mine. And I'm, I'm wealthy and I don't need anything that you could give me. He's a self-made man who doesn't give credit to the Lord at all, does he? He doesn't mention the Lord in any of that. Oh, yes, he says, I have enough. It's contentment. But it's not a spiritual contentment. He's contented in himself. I've done well in spite of your God, in spite of your religion. I don't need all that. I've done well. I don't need it. He doesn't give credit to the Lord at all who gives us, as Deuteronomy 8, verse 18 teaches us, the power to get wealth. Notice how Jacob puts it in verse 11. I hope you'll not forget this part of the, the message. Because God has dealt graciously with me, I have enough. You see, that's quite a bit of difference. I've got enough. I, I've got all I need. I'm good. Don't need anything. Because God has dealt graciously with me, I have enough. Do you know in the Hebrew, the connotation there is I have everything. I've got God. Because God has blessed me, I have everything. 
Jacob's is an unlimited spiritual blessing, inheritance of the Lord that every child of God knows and has. No matter what your bottom line financial situation is, I have it all. I own it. I'm a child of the king. His royal blood flows through my veins. The old song says, I, I have it all. I, don't, I have no, no need of nothing. I have learned, the apostle Paul said, whether to, to abase or to abound in all things, I have learned whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Written, by the way, from a horrible prison cell. Because God has dealt graciously with me, I have enough. Let me ask you this morning, do you view your lot in life like that? Oh, pastor, I have it all. I read where a preacher was in, in, in Victorian England was visiting his church members, and he went by this woman who was notoriously poor. And he went to Mary's house and knocked on the door. He knew what she was going to do. She said, oh, pastor, would you come in for a spot of tea? And he said, yes, Mary, I will. And he sat down in her pitiful little place, just a table there. And she poured from a cracked teapot into a cracked cup uh, some hot water and uh, gave it to him. And she lifted hers to her, her lips. And she said, Pastor, let us thank the Lord for the tea. And he said, Mary, there's no tea here. You know there's no tea. This is just hot water. She said, oh, but Pastor, he makes it taste like tea. Have you reached the point? in your lot in life, that you can say, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well. The Lord makes it taste like tea. Do you view your life in that way? Has your sanctification brought you to the place of contentment where you can say, God has given me what he wants me to have, and it is enough. I have enough because it's from the hand of the Lord. Because, you see, if it wasn't from the hand of the Lord, if you had a trillion times more than what you have now, it wouldn't be enough. The proverb says, The blessing of the Lord maketh rich and addeth no sorrow with it. The psalmist said, The lines are falling to me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. A goodly inheritance. Verse 11, Esau, the Bible tells us Esau took it. So we see Jacob's planning. We see Jacob's gifts. But I want us to look, lastly, at Jacob's, what I call, compromise. Now, there, there are those who disagree with my view on this, but I want us to look in the last verses there in verse 17 at Jacob's, what I believe to be, compromise. And Jacob journeyed to Succoth and built him a house and made booths for his cattle. Therefore, the name of the place is called Succoth. Jacob is doing something here his father and grandfather never did. He built a house. And Jacob came to Shalim, a city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan. When he came from Padan Aram and pitched his tent before the city, he bought a parcel of a field where he had spread his tent in the land at the hand of the children of Hamar, Shechem's father, for a hundred pieces of money. And he erected there an altar. Perhaps Jacob couldn't bring himself to believe that Esau was sincere or that he permanently had taken care of Esau's desire to get revenge. Instead of going all the way back home, he does what so many of us do. We make baby steps to doing the right thing. 
he settles down in Succoth, as we read there in verse 18. But I want to point out here, and the reason I, I feel that this is a compromise, when we compare Scripture with Scripture, we, we know in <clears throat> chapter 31, verse 3, that God's word to Jacob was returned unto the land of thy fathers and to thy kindred. Go back home, not to Succoth, not to some place that you could say, well, this is in the city limits or the, the territory of Canaan. The, the word of God is clear to Jacob. Go back home, go to your kindred, and I will be with thee. But he had to pay the dear price of his unbelief. We only have to read one verse in the, or a few verses in the next chapter to see what a precious price that was. And I don't want to get into all that this morning, but the horrible thing that happened to his daughter, his only daughter, by this compromise. A.W. Pink says the verse 20 there that this was an act of faith on the part of Jacob cannot be doubted. But as to how high his faith rose, the best of the expositors are not agreed. When Jacob denominated this altar, God, the God of Israel, is what he's called it, God, the God of Israel. Was he losing sight of Jehovah's covenant relationship with Abraham and his seed and thinking of God merely as his God? Or was he appropriating to himself his new name of Israel? Whichever view be the true one, it should be carefully noted that in the very next word, our patriarch received from the Lord, it concerned the altar and intimated that God was not pleased with the altar he had erected in Succoth. And God said unto Jacob, chapter 35, verse 1, Arise, go to Bethel, and dwell there. Very specific. And make there, not here, there at Bethel an altar unto God. John Phillips writes, It sounds very good, but it was... Jacob the schemer at work, not Israel, prince with God at work. It was Jacob at work, not God. There is not the slightest hint that God instructed Jacob to purchase for cash what had been promised by faith. No doubt Jacob intended his altar to be a testimony to the pagans round about him. If so, his intentions were soon brought to nothing by the behavior of his three children. He should have gone deeper into Canaan as Abraham did. He should have put distance between himself and the evil Canaanite city toward which he pitched his tent. When God insists on complete separation from the world, it is because he knows best. He knows all the potential outcomes, doesn't he, of our choices. Jacob's plan, Jacob's gift, and Jacob's compromise. May the Lord bless his word this morning. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we marvel at your mercy and grace. We marvel at your word preserved and given to us. We ask you this morning that the Holy Spirit of God would take these words and deal with every heart. Is there someone we need to be made right with? Is there some restitution that's called for? Lord, have we sinned against your grace? Is there someone under the sound of my voice who's never come to you? It's your free and gracious invitation and repented of their sin and believed on your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, I pray that you would do that mysterious work in their heart where they would see the Savior and Him crucified for their sin. Oh, may they come in repentance and faith. Lord, you beckon all of us to come. We come as your children. We confess that we are sometimes lean upon our own devices. 
and the, the, the weapons of the flesh, the appearance of success where there is none, the, the trying to appear spiritual before others. Lord, we pray that you would do such a work in our heart that we would truly be what we're appearing to be. May we love you above all things and delight in your word, and may it transform us and make us your people. Oh, Lord, call people to yourself, we pray. In Jesus' precious name, amen.